hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's film is a film called Evil Speak from 1981. That's one word, Evil Speak. Uh, it's an intriguing title. I think the the poster art is even more intriguing. I remember this pretty clearly. It's a kind of futuristic looking top-down view of a guy on a computer and he's looking up and, and this guy looks like he's kind of going crazy. His hair's flying up in the air. And then there's uh, what, upon closer examination, is some kind of goat-headed demon. And the tagline says, Remember the little kid you used to pick on? Well, he's a big boy now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another thing that I notice about the cover... Uh, which I noticed as the title sequence was coming up. And that is that even though evil speak is one word, they do make a distinction. The evil is written in this medieval-looking font. And speak is written into what passed in the 1980s as a very futuristic kind of computery font. So uh, what we're getting here is a mixture of uh, the past, the evil of Satanism, (laughs) with the (laughs) modern-day computers, at least modern-day for 1981. (laughs) Right. <laughs> but, you, right. <laughs> but you chose this movie, and I think you chose it entirely for one reason. Is that right, Craig? It's, it's yeah. I, I had never heard of it, and I don't remember seeing the cover art anywhere before. Um, but it, it popped up on, I, I frankly, I really don't remember. I was perusing one of the horror websites that I look at on a daily basis. And I don't remember if it was one of those here's some horror movies you'd never heard of you should you should watch or if if it was a a feature on this movie i don't remember but i was intrigued by it because uh it stars a a very young clint howard um and and i'm not like a a diehard clint howard fan or anything like that but (laughs) the guy the guy just brings a smile to my face He's this goofy looking guy, you know, of course, brother to the insanely famous and rich Ron Howard, actor, director, um, and, and poor, uh, I, I don't want to say poor Clint Howard. He's made a good career for himself, but, uh, you know, he's, he's not the best looking guy. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's probably not the most talented actor you've ever met, but, um, whether it be due to his brother's fame or, or not, um, he's kind of established this career, uh, as an actor and he pops up in lots and lots and lots of horror movies, uh, especially, kind of low budget horror movies. Um, and, uh, for whatever reason, you know, he, he's, he's kind of a, a weird looking guy. Um, but he has this charm about him that I don't even know how to describe, you know, he, he's kind of an every guy, you know, like uh, you kind of can relate to this guy on some level, you know, he's not the best looking, he's kind of a dork, you know, whatever. He stars in lots of these low budget movies. Like I think he did like ice cream man. And Mm -hmm. I think that had a couple of sequels and he's done, you know, he, he pops up all over the place, but I had never seen him in something where he was so young, you know, like he's playing a teenager in this movie. And so I was just intrigued by that. And that's why I texted you and said, we should, we should watch this. I've never heard of it. Um, but it's got a young Clint Howard in it and, uh, I want to see it. Ah, uh, did you ever watch the Andy Griffith show growing up? Cause he was even younger than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I did a little bit, but I don't remember him from that at all. You know, I remember little Ronnie Howard. He was oh, yeah. so cute, but um, I don't I don't remember Clint uh, from that. Clint- My mom was a big fan, so we we watched it sometimes, but I don't remember him. Clint would show up. He was just this little kid. He was even smaller than Ronnie, and he would just show up, and he never spoke. He was just always like chewing on a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> I think he'd always like <laughs> like just sit there and offer it to somebody like it's just this like cute thing that he just kind of did all the time. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a mute character on that one because apparently <laughs> at least his character was he's too young to speak, but boy is he generous with his peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> Little Mayberry, <laughs> you're right. He is not the nicest looking guy in the world, but it's weird because actually in this movie, I thought, wow, he wasn't that bad looking. At this age, like, he is a couple notches. Now, tell me if you see the resemblance. Just a couple notches lower than Matt Damon, but kind of in the same spectrum of of a younger Matt Damon. Like, when Matt Damon was uh, pimply and was in, like, a start in Goodwill Hunting. He's got that look to him. I can see it a little bit. I don't know. You know, I think the reason that I I like him, and and especially I like him in this movie, and, and he's... And not necessarily a likable character, but certainly a sympathetic character because, you know, I wasn't a great looking kid either. You know, I was kind of the chubby, you know, not, not great looking kid, you know? And so you, (laughs) (laughs) and so, so I relate to this guy, you know, it's not like he's some hideous beast, you know, that should be set in the corner <laughs> he just looks he he looks like your your average kind of guy what's funny is i have no idea how old he was in this movie um but he's playing a teenager um but he's very clearly already balding yeah. which uh a, a lot of people might think oh man how how dare they cast this guy who's already balding as a teenager i teach high school this happens mm, you're right though <laughs> like i i i have high school seniors who clearly are going to be bald within the next 10 years. I have no idea how old he was when he made this movie, but I bought him as a high school kid. And I, as I was watching the movie, I just kept thinking, this is not a great movie. It's, it's, it's really not. It's not a good movie. But it has a certain charm to it. And, and I, I really think that when it comes down to it, that charm is Clint Howard. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know. You know I, I just feel like he makes again not a great movie, but uh, <laughs> there there's something relatable about his character, um, and you feel for this kid. After I watched the movie, I read some reviews. One of them said this is basically just a gender flipped version of Carrie, and, and I had thought about that as I was watching it. Uh, it is reminiscent. You know, it's about this outcast who really is basically just kind of pushed to the limit and because of that kind of seeks their revenge. Um, and, and I see that. I also saw Shades of the Omen, um, I think primarily because of the score. I kind of feel like that's the vibe that they were going for. Mm. Um, and and it, it doesn't succeed as either of those movies succeeded. But uh, I don't know. I, I have a feeling. I don't know. I, I What did you think? Uh, the movie tries very hard, and I almost feel about it a little bit like I feel about the Monster Squad, in the sense that the Monster Squad was kind of like the Goonies, 
but just a little more low rent and trying hard to be the Goonies. I kind of felt yeah. like this movie, too, had a place there where it was trying really hard to be up there in a certain part of the mainstream at the time. Again, like another Carrie. In fact, maybe even a more slightly more lighthearted Carrie in some ways. But uh, it just fell flat. It was just a little too low rent in certain ways, but I couldn't tell you exactly where. And I think you're right. It just has to do with the ensemble cast. And maybe the thing that saves it, again, as you said, is Clint Howard. He's the one uh, he, honestly, he seems to be one of the more um, believable characters in the film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's relatable. I mean, Clint Howard plays this guy, Stanley Cooper Smith, um, and he is in a military academy. And we find out later that he's been orphaned and he's kind of been taken in by this military academy as kind of a charity case. He's not well liked by his peers. Uh, he's he's bullied. As far as plot goes, that's about it. You know, yeah. the the movie the movie starts out with this weird. It's not a flashback, you know, because we're coming right into it. But um, it's a scene clearly from the past. I couldn't figure out when or where it was supposed to be. Um, I, I guess sometime in scene fifteen hundreds, fifteen twenty, something like that. And we see this guy, Lorenzo Esteban, who is played by Richard Mole who I love, uh, mm-hmm. Bull from Night Court. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we talked about him in House. He's being vanquished from Spain. Um, apparently he's a priest, but he's being excommunicated from the church. And then we see him uh, holding this black mass ceremony where he does, I don't know, he burns some stuff and then it ends up with him decapitating this, this topless woman. Uh, and, and that's the setup. And then we jump to Clint Howard getting bullied, blah, 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 etc. It's so like Carrie at this point because Clint Howard's just getting totally bullied on the soccer field. And then like the next scene is him in the showers and he's kind of being bullied in the showers too. Uh, not to the extent that Carrie is, but you know, they're pretty relentless on it. And actually I thought this movie was really clunky and it starts clunky this way too because it's just so bald on its face trying to cram information down your throat yeah they're bullying him okay scene two they're bullying him some more scene three they're bullying him and this time the coach is getting in on it you know it's like right uh, oh okay come on we get the idea he's being bullied and then they keep calling a welfare boy or something like that and then the next scene is the head of the school who is a colonel, Colonel Kincaid, who's walking with this mother that he's giving a tour of the school, which we later find out is the mother of one of these bullies named Bubba. Right. But he just happens to be talking to her about how... There was a time when only the sons of the right families attended our academy here, but now, due to our financial condition, we're obliged to take in welfare cases like Cooper Smith. <laughs> Okay, so like this kid Cooper Smith, as you go through the first, basically as you go through the whole movie, you would think that nobody at this military academy talks about or thinks about or makes any decision that doesn't revolve around this kid. (laughs) Exactly. Like they have an active interest in hating him and persecuting him. Like why? Like just leave this kid alone. (laughs) And the thing is he's not like – he's kind of – Okay, you know it's like he he deals with it. He he clearly doesn't like it, but he doesn't have that same charm that Carrie had. You know, Carrie, not only is she being bullied, but she's got a really 
pathetic kind of personality, you know, because she's been getting it at home from her mom. And so she's just a very weak character to begin with. And so when she gets bullied, your heart just completely turns in her favor. She's just so sympathetic because she's so pathetic. Whereas this kid... You know, the other thing they keep going over and over again until, you know, we get it, (laughs) is that he's an orphan. And every time they say it, it's almost like they're giving you new information, like it's that important. Right. Later on, we find out that uh, we hear that he's an orphan. Then we find out, oh, no, both of his parents died. And then a few scenes, you know, later, an hour later, we hear, yeah, both of his parents died in in a car accident. And every time they keep talking about it and giving you like a little new tidbit of information, I keep thinking, okay, there's going to be something significant about his parents coming about no the movie is just that clunky no. that it feels like it's got to keep yeah. reminding you of the same stuff and that was my problem with this movie is that almost up until 15 minutes before the end of the film it's the same stuff over and over it and is. over again and nothing really moves he doesn't really progress no. at all he doesn't even get more and more angry until mm-hmm. the very end i don't know it's just yeah i i agree with you entirely you know if we're going to compare it to Carrie, which I think you kind of have to, it's it's so similar. But, you know, she's very introverted and, and separates herself because of her upbringing. And, and this kid doesn't, you know, it just seems like this kid is just trying as hard as he can to go about his everyday life and trying to fit in and and. And and he's just ostracized for really no good reason. Like, oh, okay, like he's not the best soccer player, so let's <laughs> brutally <laughs> bully him. Everybody plays sports here, Bubba. I guess that's another game we're going to lose, huh, Coach? Come here, Bubba. You know the Colonel's policy as well as I do. Everybody plays two out of every four quarters. Now, what the hell do you expect me to do about that, huh? Huh? However, something happened to Cooper Smith, so he couldn't play. It's not even fair. Like it, and and so you do feel bad for the kid. Uh, eventually, what ends up happening, and, and it is clunky. Oh gosh! All right, I'm going to go off on a tangent because I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, you are the technical movie making guy. I felt like whoever, and maybe it was the director, maybe it was the screenwriting, I don't know. But I just felt like the editing was really bad. Like it just, it seemed like just a series of scenes that did not connect well. It just didn't seem like a logical progression of plot. It was just like, here's the scene that we filmed. Okay, now let's go to another scene that we filmed. Like, I don't know. There wasn't a very good through line. I know that this was classified in Britain when it was uh, first released as one of the video nasties. And so they made a lot of cuts to it. And eventually a uh, director's cut came out. But the filmmakers have said that even that director's cut really doesn't have all of the footage that they shot. So I don't know if some of it was lost in the editing or what, but it just seems disjointed. Like it doesn't follow uh, a, a good through line. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I did. In in a way, like even while I was watching it, for some reason, Greece kept coming to mind. And now Greece does have a through line. You know, it's got the story of Sandy and Danny, right? As they're you know right. going through and kind of their love thing. But it just sort of like Greece, it feels like a series of vignettes. It's like a lot yeah. of just self-contained scenes that could be jumbled in any order 
up until the last right. 15 minutes and get the same effect. So there's no real build. You know, there, it's really not building towards anything. It seems to be. You know, as it goes on, you know, he, he gets punishment detail, right? There's that chaplain. Yeah, yeah. I, I hated all these characters. Not, not because they were... They were just dumb, dumb characters. Yeah. And this chaplain was one of them. You just couldn't get a beat on this guy. This is supposed to be this military academy. And so everybody, you know, is dressed in the military uniforms, but they don't actually make sense if you know anything about, about the military, uh, the, the ranks, insignias, and uh, things were just slapped on these things. And what the, one of the yeah. things that bothered me too, two of the things that bothered me, first of all, Everybody's hair was way too long for this to be a military yeah. <laughs> academy. <laughs> but second of all, the decorum completely gone. Uh, now I grew up in a military family, all right, and 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 you know my dad was an officer and stuff. We grew up on bases. I'm pretty familiar with this stuff. I never went to a military academy, but it's a meritocracy. Uh, the military is nothing if not a meritocracy, and that's a fundamental flaw of, this, of the way that they're portraying this academy in this film is that people are just too petty. The top brass or the, the instructors in this, in this school make all these weird threats. It's, it's like Greece. You know, they all have all these weird different characters. The, all of the instructors and whatever have all these different personality quirks. At one time, he gets called in uh, to the Colonel Kincaid's office, who chews him out for no really good discernible reason, except that he still thinks right. he's a pud, and then says, all right, assume the position, and he whacks him like corporal punishment. Corporal punishment for what? Right. And again, being a meritocracy, the way that the military works, they don't give a crap about your background. They don't care where you came from. This is just not something that's discussed or talked about much. It's just, will you do the work? Can you do the work? And right. it's, they're constantly grilling in you to get better and get better and get better. And so the reasons that they're harping on this kid seems to be more of the fact that they've just decided that they resent having him in the school, more so than he can't accomplish anything. You really, except for soccer, you don't see any evidence that he can't accomplish anything. Right. In fact, he seems right. to be a pretty good student. Uh, he goes to class, yes. and uh, he, he's in this this ridiculous class <laughs> with the this guy. Uh, the teacher has a a, a German accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are late, Cooper Smith. I hope you have an unimpeachable excuse. Your silence pleases me, Cooper Smith. They would consider any excuse unacceptable, short of your being detained by visitors from outer space. <laughs> I take it we can rule out extraterrestrial interference? He's like Steve Carell with a German accent. It's hilarious. <laughs> which, which I guess is just their way of trying to make him seem more sinister or something. But again, I it's guess. a little off from him being at a military academy. And this class, apparently, they're going to study um, the strategies of Julius Caesar. But they're also, in the just as kind of a side thing, going to learn Latin as well. And, right. uh, and also, don't forget your model projects that are due. And I'm like, model projects? Like, like are they mapping out model, like a battlefield? Like, <laughs> no, it's like they've got to make like giant boats or like catapults and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this stupid class? <laughs> but, you know, that's really handy, uh, obviously, that he learns the Latin. And, uh, of course, it comes in at just the right moment. That's the other thing. Uh, is This is one of those cases where, as, unfortunately, in poorly written movies like this, 
things that the characters need just happen to be available to them right, right when they need them, you know, and that's one of those situations. Right. And, and like he's, he's, so he's on this punishment duty. We have no idea what he's being punished for. <laughs> you know, you can't imagine that this kid would have done anything malicious to be punished for. And you're right. You know, it makes, of course, you never necessarily expect a movie like this to represent people fairly, but not only are the military officers, just jerks but they're also stupid like um they're they're mean they're mean to this kid for no reason but then they're also really nice to the bully kids who are very clearly making fun of them behind their backs and and like i don't come from any kind of military background but i can never imagine that anything like that would happen it just doesn't make any kind of logical sense no um but anyway so he's on this punishment duty and his duty apparently is to clean out the basement of this church on the campus. Um, and he, he goes down there and he hasn't been cleaning for more than 30 seconds before he finds a secret room like behind this wall and he, he tears down this wall brick by brick and he goes in there and it's like this, Massive. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, it's this huge, like, kind of like dark chapel or whatever. And my my favorite, <laughs> my favorite. I say that a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of favorites, I guess. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this movie is that he goes down there and he finds all this obviously like ancient stuff and he's just like perusing through it like ooh, this is so neat like <laughs> and this he's lighting this, this candles <laughs> that's that's it that's it <laughs> like these black wax candles not only does he light a candle like okay all right it's dark and there you light a candle so maybe you can see this you know pagan book that you're looking at or whatever but he lights like hundreds of candles <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but like at some, like he lights the hundreds of candles the first times that he's in there to look at all these weird things. And there's weird things. There's like pagan books, and there's like weird like demon iconography, and there's like a fetus in a jar, and I don't even know what that was all about. <laughs> and but then later, like he he continues going down there, and not only is there are there like these hundreds of candles lit, but there's like fire pits, like. <laughs> It just gets like, like it's a whole deal. Like it's a whole dungeon scene. It's like the end of uh, one of the last Nightmare on Elm Streets that we talked about when they go down into Freddy's hell. It's like this dungeon. New night. You know, that's what it's yeah. like. It, yeah, and he just hangs out in there. Well, and it's like it's it's like it's a different set every time. Like it's like as they filmed the movie, they kept adding to it, and they filmed it in sequence, so it's like more and more elaborate. I didn't even realize how big the room was until as the movie goes on, you're like, "Geez, the ceilings in here are huge!" It just seems to get bigger and bigger, more elaborate. And of course, maybe it's just because the candles all stay lit the whole time. But you know, and then how does he how does he close it off? But he just like pushes a whiteboard in front of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody will find. This, especially not apparently, there's there's a guy named Sarge who like lives down there. Like I don't even like. <laughs> I I don't even know. I don't even know. Oh. But when it comes down to it, he continues to get bullied. The the bullies like break his catapult thing that he's been working on so hard, and that's really mean. And he takes this one book out of there that's got like a pentagram on it and he's working on his catapult design on a computer and this is hilarious because <laughs> apparently the, t- the the title evil speak 
is a play on the term computer speak, which I don't even remember that being a term. Mm. But I, I guess that was back in the early days of computers. That was like the name for computer language, I guess. But uh, he, he's working on this computer and he starts typing in things uh, in Latin into this computer. It's like a Commodore 64 or something. Yeah. He types stuff from the book in and it translates it for him. And that's another thing. There, there's a lot of reading. <laughs> <laughs> You do have if to read it. Fan, <laughs> if you're not a fan of reading, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> or if you can't read, you might not want to watch this movie because you won't know what's going on. But he he types this stuff in, and the first thing that translates is, "I Esteban have come to know that the entire world is a domain of evil, ruled over by an evil spirit. And since the power that dominates the world is evil, then it follows that Satan must be God." Um, and then it's dated 1520, and then it's like, "I Esteban have." signed the book of death and I have conducted a black mass and, and now I will return. And I guess what we're supposed to understand is that this kid feels so powerless that he's willing to grasp on to anything that could potentially give him power because just immediately he's like, yes, Satan. <laughs> 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 Let's explore this a little further. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh gosh. So he decides he's going to get his power from Satan, and he takes the computer down. Oh gosh. And it's just so funny to watch. You know, we grew up in the '80s. I remember seeing all these weird cords and the you know these huge clunky computers, and like he he takes it and he sets it up down in his Satanist den, and and it yeah. just <laughs> it just moves on from there. <laughs> It becomes a part of the altar. And this is a part that I never quite understood about the movie, like the role of the computer. At first, it's like it's translating the Latin for him. But then um, at one point, uh, before he takes it downstairs, he has to leave because somebody else has got to use the computer after him. You know, this is back when you had to like schedule time with the one computer that the whole school had. And so he turns off the monitor. And then after about three seconds, it comes back on. And then later on, when he's downstairs and he's typing uh, stuff into it, it's not like it's translating. It's like he's able to ask it questions. So has he loaded, like, the Satan, Satanic Bible onto it? Has he run the, the, the ritual program? It's hard to say, but anyway, the computer spits out what's basically the recipe for summoning summoning Satan. And it right. lists all these herbs and all these things that he needs, which are all very conveniently available in that room, uh, which he goes... Yeah, he just shops. <laughs> he just <laughs> shops in the dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird because, like, the whole fact that they were learning Latin in the class, I thought then would be significant. Oh, it's going to help him translate this no, book. No. no, the computer does it. And anyway, none of this needs to be said in Latin. I guess as long as you translate it into English, the spell still works. Uh, and then he starts this spell with without like two of the ingredients, I guess, and still thinks it's going to work. And at the end, it's like the computer can detect. So like, again, these movies from the 80s, they they made it look like these home computers could do almost anything. But it's like the computer can detect the spell that's being cast in front of its monitor. Because as he goes through it, uh, it says data entry failed. You're missing two things. You're missing blood and a consecrated host. And so he kind of looks at the screen and is like, oh, damn, and just leaves. And it hangs there 
for a good hour. I mean, this is probably, what, 30, yeah. 45, 30 minutes into the movie, and every time he comes down there, he's facing that same screen, or somebody else comes down and discovers right. it. They look, and they see the screen, too, of this unfinished ritual. And we just get a lot more scenes of him being bullied. And it's like... He was so keen on doing this ritual, he just gives up when he's got to get the two of the easiest things, which is go upstairs and get some consecrated host from the chapel and, like, right. cut his own finger and throw a drop of blood in there. Like, cut your finger. <laughs> yeah. Like, wh- wh- why? And so it just fizzles <laughs> right. out. So it's like the you're, movie. You're, ab- you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> It's building to this moment, right? You th- okay, this is going to be the beginning of Act 2. This is where the spell gets cast. Like, he summons Satan. Satan possesses him or somebody. And they kind of let loose this, this, this craziness. And then they've got to all deal with it in Act 2. And then by Act 3 is like the, the, the climax where they've got, to, they've got to put the genie back in the bottle and something's going to happen. But no, it's just a lot more of watching him being bullied for a while. I totally agree with you. Um, it's like it sets that up that the computer becomes kind of this computer Ouija board for him that he can kind of communicate with um and then it there it's like the whole second act is just totally random like there's that whole thing that you talked about with him getting spanked by the colonel or whoever (laughs) it is and then there's there's a whole deal with a sexy secretary who like gets a hold of his book and like wants to like pry the pentagram pentagram off the the book like for jewelry or got a jewel in it Oh, that was it. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) But but she can't, I guess. And and then there's a whole thing with pigs. And, like, I thought this was where it was, like, getting into omen territory. Like, I I really didn't even understand what what the deal was. There's this whole thing with pigs. Like, I guess Clint Howard, I don't know what his name was. Cooper Smith. Stanley Cooper Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I, I guess he has to, like, slop the hogs or something. (laughs) Right. At the military (laughs) camp. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that. <laughs> and like we we get this whole scene where the sexy secretary is trying to pry off this jewel and she can't, but like that irritates the hogs and like so the hogs attack Cooper Smith and it leads to nothing until the <laughs> hogs come back later in the movie for no reason. <laughs> oh god yeah and 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 you're right and then lots more bullying blah 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 we can't forget the part where later the sexy secretary gets naked and showers (laughs) and then gets eaten by the hogs because of course (laughs) you can't have a movie like this without somebody stepping into a shower (laughs) well and i mean why wouldn't hogs eat the sexy secretary (laughs) i I mean that makes perfect sense so you know whatever and then there's a beauty contest Where are these women like mis- coming from on the on the mil- this military academy? I do not understand. What do they do? I don't know, but it's the miss the miss heavy artillery contest. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And it comes out of nowhere, and it doesn't make any sense. And like. Um, you know, Cooper Smith is just taking time out of his diabolical Satan plan to like attend the Miss Heavy Artillery contest. Yeah. And 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 then like he he goes up to one of the girls who lost afterwards. Miss Kelly? <laughs> you want something? I just wanted to to, to say well t- to tell you I- I'm sorry. I-, I thought you were the best out there I I thought you should have (laughs) won 
<laughs> no, no, really. I, I thought you should have won. You really mean that, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the, the bullies bully him again. Getting high, Cooper Dick? Hey, leave him alone, Bubba. Sure, I'll leave him alone. But I'm benching you for smoking dope. <laughs> you, you can't do that. The, the coach says everybody gets to play. That's what sports are for, to make us well-rounded. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Oh. So funny. Yeah. And they, they, oh, God. And, like, it's just, you know whatever movies or whatever there's only so much you can do but like these bullies this whole group of bullies who just clearly just you know sulk around together all the time you know they they pull his pants off to humiliate him but leave him in like his giant green military boxers i guess like i don't care i don't want to see clint howard's wang but like seriously if these bullies were really going to be humiliating this kid they wouldn't just be pulling off his pants and leaving him in these giant boxers yeah but it it doesn't matter i mean and then i i guess leading into the third act somewhere along the line cooper smith got a dog He's got this whole really weird scene with the chef, right? He misses dinner, and so he goes to the mess hall by himself and has to scrape just the last bits of scrambled egg or whatever from the tray. And the chef takes pity on him and says, hey, come back here, and I'll, I'll make you a steak. And so he makes a mistake, and he sits down, and they just have, again, another little conversation that's supposed to be, oh, I'm an orphan. You sure your mother and father didn't send me here just to get you out of the way? My mom and dad were killed in an automobile accident. Should have told me soon. I would have given you an extra lump of mashed potatoes. <laughs> That's better. Finished? Mm. You want to see something? <laughs> I, I guess I just, I guess I just have kind of a twisted mind because I saw that going somewhere else. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, God, I, the chef gives him a puppy. So he's got this puppy, which he keeps under like a cot <laughs> in this dungeon. And, and and I love that about movies too, like where you can just like, oh, I have a puppy. I'm just going to put it in this box for the next three days. Like that's not how that works. <laughs> well, it's the thing uh, that he, he gives this nice little soliloquy about dogs and puppies. He's like, doesn't look like this little one's getting too much to eat. Can I have him? What are you going to do with him? Keep him. Try to give him a chance. Why don't you let nature take its course? Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this puppy's better off not making it. It's a tough world out there. you got to be able to kick and scratch if you want to survive. I found that out right after my parents died. No, you don't know that. You haven't been scrapping and getting by. You've been bullied this whole time. You haven't come out on top. You haven't learned anything. But yeah, take the dog. Take the dog so that you can show it a better life by sticking it in a box in this secret room in the dungeon in the dark and then tell it if you need anything, just yell. Yeah. <laughs> yell for who? The man who lives in the dungeon? <laughs> Eventually, they have... 
this confrontation with the bullies, the bully after the beauty pageant, the uh, bullies are like, well, we're going to hurt your dog. And he's like, don't you dare hurt my dog. I'll do something bad. Um, But instead of going and like getting his dog or protecting his dog, he just goes (laughs) to bed. Um, And and the bullies somehow magically find his evil dungeon and they go down there and they're messing around and looking around and stuff. And uh, the main bully, Bubba, gets a hold of the puppy and uh and and kills it um and and meanwhile all, while all this has been happening the computer screen has been flashing blood and consecrated host um i don't even know if the bullies were supposed to have seen that i i have no idea um but uh they they kill the puppy and then they leave and then eventually Cooper Smith comes down and finds his dead puppy. And that's what leads into what I felt like could have been a really good payoff Mm. with this last scene. And then I just felt like they totally squandered it. Like, yeah. So, so the computer says, Oh no, we need human blood. So when Cooper Smith finds the puppy, um, he's, he's enraged. And then the Reverend like comes down there and finds Cooper Smith and Cooper Smith kills him. So he's got the human blood well, and he, he's also got, he, he's he, also gotten the consecrated host. He picks him up from the stairway, lifts him into the air and like impales him on what must be like a hanging spiky chandelier or something. I guess he I had no idea what superhuman strength or something. And, uh. and then you've got basically what boils down to carry at the prom scene. I mean, that's, that's pretty much exactly mm-hmm. what it is. Like, except it's in a church, it's in a church and, um, Cooper Smith, you know, poor sweet Clint Howard, who was obviously balding at the time, like they spike his comb over up. So <laughs> that it's standing. So it's standing about 10 <laughs> inches above his head and he floats around and like, there's all kinds of contrived things where like his face turns into the face of the evil priest for a while. And, um, you know, it's all insignificant and kind of stupid, but, um, he, he chases these guys around the chapel and he kills, he beheads a bunch of them with the same sword that Esteban used in the beginning. And, and the pigs come back and like (laughs) the, 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 the pigs are chasing people through the church and eating them. And I'm like, why why do they have these enormous like jungle boards <laughs> at the military academy? <laughs> these are not like these are not like hogs that you would have, you know, to make bacon. You know, pigs yeah. are scary and dangerous, period. Domestic pigs are dangerous. But these are like jungle boars. Like yeah, why like, do they have them there? Haku Namatada. So the pigs eat a bunch of people and he decapitates a bunch of people and there's this Fire. whole big like slaughter. And then this this has to be my biggest complaint with the movie. It's like they just quit or like they filmed an ending that we didn't get to see because you see this big slaughter and you see poor Stanley Cooper Smith, who you've, you know, sympathized with because he's been bullied for this whole time and you feel bad for this kid. And, and then he kills a bunch of people and then like it just kind of fades away and this script comes up on the screen 
that says suffering from shock and catatonic withdrawal attributed to having witnessed the fiery death of his dear friends and teachers. Stanley Cooper Smith, sole survivor of the tragic accident at West Andover Academy Chapel, was admitted to Sunnydale Asylum. He remains there still. Oh, it was all based on a true story. And then you, you, okay, so then you see the computer again and it flashes up. I, Stanley Cooper Smith, will return. Oh, man, I just felt totally cheated. Yeah. I wanted to know what happened. You know, like, frankly, somehow, as in Carrie, Stanley probably should have tragically died. So we could have really felt really bad for him and the way that he was treated. But it was just left hanging. Like, honest to God, it was like, they're like, building up, building up, building up, climax, climax, the end. Like, (laughs) you don't don't get any resolution. You don't get uh, that really. That's my biggest complaint about the movie. Among many complaints, that is my biggest complaint was that I felt cheated at the end. That felt like a cop-out ending. It was a terrible ending. I felt the same way about that ending as I did at the end of Unbreakable. And also, uh, while we're kind of ragging on it, because it's easy to do, another thing I didn't quite get was the role of the computer in all this. Because at times it's a translator, at times it's helping along with with the ritual... But then at other times, the computer itself seems possessed and able to project some energy. We get all these graphics on there. Maybe the the scene I'm thinking about the most is right smack dab in the middle of the movie, where Sarge is drunk in the basement. He's been bitching about his crowbar being missing this whole time. And, right. uh, and uh, he, he stumbles in to Stanley, finds the the secret hideout finds his crowbar there says he's been lying finds his dog and then picks up the dog it's like i'm going to teach you a lesson he's going to snap the dog's neck you know over this crowbar yeah uh and uh at this point the computer kind of fires up and this pentagram goes on there and all these crazy graphics and then like the pentagram duplicates itself vertically so it, i guess it's supposed to kind of look like a vertebrae and starts turning and twisting and it keeps cutting between this graphic on the screen, and suddenly this guy, Sarge, in life, his head starts turning around, and basically until it's complete, you know, 180, and snaps his neck mm-hmm. and he falls forward. And there's another time, too, I don't remember when, but where the computer does this same thing. So it's almost like by now the computer is already possessed by this Esteban character and is able to manifest these things. But I guess it's not enough because the ritual's not complete and nothing big happens till the end. But then again, at the end, like you said, the computer's still there. I guess it survived the the burning or fire. It's another one. Uh, And it now apparently is possessed by, you know, it's supposed to be like, implying that there's there's a cyclical nature to this, that now he's the new one. Right, right. But it's so clunky, and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I just, I, I really, it made me think a lot of um, another movie that we just talked about, Trick or Treat, it, it, where the, the rock star could kind of possess all of the stereos. <laughs> but you're right, you know, like, it, it seemed at some times that the computer 
um, had power and could manipulate things on its own. I mean, it, it's really clunky. You know, I, I feel bad because a lot of times we do these movies and we can tell you kind of interesting trivia and, and there's not a whole lot of interesting trivia that, that, that I could find about this. There is a making of documentary of this movie on YouTube. This movie is on YouTube, by the way, if you want to watch it for free. But uh, there is a making of and I wish that I would have had the opportunity to watch it before we saw this because I, I do find it uh, interesting. And the thing is, when all is said and done, I didn't hate the movie. I, I, I thought that it had potential. It just seemed like it was poorly executed. I think that the idea is not a bad idea. And I no. think that it's something that could be easily modified, not necessarily a remake, but you know, the, a similar idea. And, and again, I I'm sure it's been done. There's been all kind of technology horror, but, uh, as I said in the beginning, there's some sort of charm about it. And I really think that that charm is Clint Howard. And it's not that he is an Oscar worthy actor. He's not, but there's just something relatable about him. And he's just kind of got these big puppy dog eyes um, that uh, for whatever reason, you know, I, I, I like this guy. I feel feel for this guy and even in this movie that's not a great movie i enjoyed watching him in it i wouldn't watch it again but i might even recommend it to a fellow horror lover it's weird it's a movie that i had never heard of that i've never seen referenced anywhere except for that one article that i read about it um but uh i don't know i'm, I'm kind of glad we stumbled across it yeah i'll go one better on you i think that even you could almost take this movie scene for scene and rework the writing uh, and the characterization and probably make a much better movie out of the same, exactly the same material. If you just had the right. build in there and you made it, again, so that that ritual was something that kept getting added to and adding to and building and maybe made, made it come a little sooner, you could have more of a, again, like a male version of Carrie in here. Because mm. I felt like, like I said at the very beginning, I felt like this movie was so close to that, or at least there, was, there were elements about it that made it want to be that. It just didn't succeed because the writing was so terrible. Yeah. It was just a bunch of scenes that didn't have any build to them. And as great as Clint character was as much as you felt for him you didn't really see a breaking down of this guy you know the dog i think was supposed to be it but uh, and as tragic as that is it too felt tacked on like we hadn't seen that much of the dog you know by then that by the point he's cradling it we get like a slow dolly shot uh, on him hands covered in blood cradling this dead dog <clears throat> that was supposed to be really emotional but again as tragic as it is to see a dog killed for no good reason, you still didn't even right. have any build before that of his relationship with this dog. He could have been the companion kind of with him through the movie that lifted his spirits even when all the other kids were bullying him. You know, that one little change yeah. would have made that way more powerful and would have made it, yep, that's definitely the point where he's snapping. You know, his one friend of the world is gone. And then you could just kind of take it out yeah. of the chapel a little more. Like, it seems like... The chapel is the only place on this campus. It's like where everybody goes all the time. He's in the chapel. People are looking for him. They find him in yeah. the chapel. He's in the in the cellar, and everybody knows to go down to the cellar and find him. His friend, uh, his friend Kowalski, who again you thought was going to be again the guy that kind of comes to his aid throughout it, shows up like three times, yeah. uh, and he's gone. Uh, you're right. Maybe what you said earlier about a lot of scenes being cut. Maybe there was a lot cut here that we haven't seen that would that would have fixed some of this now that I think about it because it's so disjointed. Yeah. It's so disjointed. 
the only interesting bit of trivia that I was able to find was that, and, and I don't know, it's not like the set pieces were that cool. It could have been filmed on any studio set, but um, it was actually filmed in a condemned church. While they were filming it, of course, they were doing some renovations for the filming and a priest at that church came in and believed that they were renovating the church. And I guess he fell to his knees and like, like cried out a thank you to God. And they, they just didn't even have the heart to tell him that it was just like set pieces. And, oh. and they eventually ended up burning the church to the ground. Um, <laughs> so that's the only interesting piece of trivia that I have about the movie. <laughs> there was an interesting scene we didn't mention. And again, this, this is uh, another point where I felt like everybody was always going back to the chapel. Another thing that it felt like they were building up to that again went nowhere was this big game that he was supposed to be yeah. able to play in that they keep referencing and keep threatening to cut him from, which doesn't seem to matter in the end but it comes to that point where he's supposed to show up for the game it's 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 after you know the rally the night before where the dog died he's not there and so they're all like ah ha ha they're all in the shower room they're getting all ready to go and the coach comes in and says where is he and they said well i guess he hasn't shown up wink 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 coach is like well okay i guess we'll have to punish him for that all right boys i want to see you over at the chapel so they all go to the chapel uh and the priest uh the the chaplain gives the what I think is the finest piece of writing in this film. In case you're listening to this on a Sunday and you want a nice uh, pep talk slash sermon, I just want to leave you with this gem. Before you go out to play the game of your lives, little soldiers, I want to talk to you about another game. The game of life. I know a lot of you soccer jocks think it's okay to go out there and try to pull one over on the referee when he's not watching. But I'm here to tell you that nobody, I mean nobody, pulls anything over on the head referee in the big game. And that's what really is important. Each time you go to the trough of sin with gluttony and lust, like pigs, you're being coached by Satan. And if you care to check the standings, he's got a losing record. When he adds up the ledger between good and evil, you, uh, you better be on the winning side of this, or just oh, hell to pay. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher, anywhere you can find your favorite podcast. You'll also find us on Facebook, where you can like us there, share us with a friend, and let us know what you think of this movie, as well as leave a request for another movie in the future. Until that time, I'm Todd. And I'm Greg. With two guys and a chainsaw.